Welcome to Everything Belongs, a podcast for those living, creating, leading, and thriving while in the deep end of life. I'm your host, Madison Morgan, leadership coach, creative consultant, and speaker. I coach soulful visionaries and go-getting mavericks who desire to create art of their lives and take their work both deeper and higher. In this show, I'll be bringing you an overflow of conversations with my favorite thought leaders, teachers, healers, and creatives who inspire me to live more fully in my own power, worth, and wholeness, along with offering some episodes where I share my own practical insights, behind-the-scenes peeks into my process, and tools I use on my own journey. There will not be much we shy away from here because at this table, everything belongs. Therefore, you can expect me to ask the uncomfortable, juicy questions. You can expect that you'll hear people you disagree with on the podcast and maybe even ideas you've never previously considered. I trust you with your own discernment as we take this deep dive. You can expect to laugh, cry, learn, and be challenged by the guests as they share their diverse experiences and views of the world. It's my hope through learning to see that all of it belongs that you will develop a more sovereign way of holding yourself so you can playfully go after the life, relationships, and career you are made for, to let all parts of yourself have a seat at the table, to lead and create from your deepest truth, and become your own source of validation, all because you finally know you're worthy of it. All that's required to get started, that you show up curious and willing. Let's dive in. Well, hello everyone, and welcome to today's episode of Everything Belongs. It is a gloomy spring day where I am, and if you listen closely, you might be able to hear the birds singing in the background, probably digging up tons of worms because it's been nonstop raining since I recorded the bio for the last episode of the podcast. So it's been raining for at least a week, and it's kind of perfect, the perfect vibe for today's podcast guest. Mariana Rittenhouse, who is a tea ceremonialist and guide. And this conversation is so dropped in, so human, so lovely. We talk about waking up, how Mariana woke up out of a just doing life misaligned and how tea was a guide for her. We talk about devotional living and what seasons of integration mean and how after her big waking up life presented her with the opportunity to integrate that to move into her own internal feminine and feminine integrity she shares about a brief history of tea our journeys with plant medicine from tea to other plant medicines hitting rock bottom Again, the integration process of that, dealing with burnout and nervous system breakdown from working and working and working and being in misaligned relationships, grieving the fantasy of saving and being saved and letting go of that paradigm, and how love begets freedom and conditionless love. Goodness. As I sit here and record this bio, even reflecting on mine and Mariana's conversation, I have a candle lit from the yoga school where my girlfriend Jamie went to her yoga school and her mentors live there, Holly and Matt, and her tiny house is there. And it's it's such a, a refuge for us. So having this candle lit um, and just looking out the window at the big trees, reflecting on this conversation feels so right. So, so right. I hope you enjoy this really deep and fun conversation that I had with Mariana. 
And I would love to hear your thoughts on it after you listen. It's a perfect episode to have on a drive or on a long walk where you're just listening and looking at nature or maybe even cleaning your kitchen and wanting to do so mindfully. I felt like this conversation is one that really reminded me to slow down and to be more present to my life and to live in a more ceremonial ceremonial way. Uh, whether or not I'm sipping a tea or not, but just to be present with the ritual and ceremony of life. And if you have the opportunity to listen to this episode in that way, I invite you to do so. So as always, if you enjoy this episode, if you especially enjoy it, leave a five-star review and let me know what you loved about it, your specific feedback, and just compliments about what you love and letting me know what you enjoy just one mean the world to me, but also help me know who you love to have on the podcast, what voices you love to hear. And, uh, I do read each and every one. So let's dive into this conversation with Mariana. Here we go. Mariana, I'm so thrilled to be sitting in ceremony with you. We have already had such a vibrant conversation. (laughs) I almost wish we had recorded it because I think we could just release just what we had shared on Zoom before and just let it be its own thing. But you are, you're a tea ceremonist. You're, you're a guide. You support people to reconnect to nature, to ceremony, to the feminine. What does that mean? What is that? What does that mean? I mean, I always, first of all, thanks for having me here. <laughs> um, and yeah, I always, I think of it as removing the layers between the self and the soul. Um, if I really had to think about what is everything I do, it, whether it's an interaction, a question or a ceremony, or you're staying in my home or something, it's like, what is the purpose? It is to remove the layers between the self and the soul. And we, um, and as we do that, then we become in alignment with our true selves, right? So the only thing standing between us and our true expression is all the stuff put on us by society and ourselves and culture. And so as the more we can just peel back those layers, whether again, it's through ceremony or through introspection and contemplation or a book or how you see the world, that's how we really get to the interconnectedness of all beings. Um, And to me, that's probably like the most healing thing we can do. And the most difficult thing we can do is just being ourselves in this world. Yes. Okay. So I, I want to know how you came to this, this way of being in the world, because like, were you raised with this contemplative understanding of the world? Like, how did you come to this? Oh my gosh. No, I was not raised like this at all. I was actually raised Catholic, um, And Latin American Catholic, which I always say is like a special breed of Catholicism. Um, And so I was raised with a lot of guilt and shame. I was actually talking to one of my girlfriends about this last night um, because we're hosting a circle and a lot of us in it were Catholic. And I was trying to explain to her the special form of trauma in Catholicism, which is, um, I was like, imagine you're six years old. And in order to be in community, you have to go into a little box each week and tell someone why you're wrong. And you don't even know why you're wrong. 
right? I, I used to, I remember when I was little, it's like, this is one of the things I won't forget is I would go in there and I just lie and lie and lie about all these things because I needed a list of things to share. And then at the end, I always wanted to say, and I lied about everything that I just said, which is my final sin. Yeah. I was going to say, did you confess the lying? <laughs> like, and really the only thing was that I just lied. And that, you know, like this is literally, you're just trained to be wrong and that, and not only to be wrong, but that it's good to be wrong because you being able to go to confession is a rite of passage, right? So you're, so you actually go through a rite of passage. It's like, it's a good thing for you to be wrong and to be in this cycle of, you know, I mean, it's like super abusive psychologically. Yeah. Um, Self-flagellation and also bypassing, like you don't know the person on the other side of the wall. Like there's no self-consent there. Yeah, totally. Totally. And so I was really, yeah, I was raised very differently. And um, I think probably ran away. I didn't get confirmed. I knew at a young age, I was like, this is not cool. And so I did not get confirmed ever. Um, But I would say I probably ran away from spirituality in a lot of regards, because I felt like in order to be safe, I needed to be able to control thing, everything around me. And, um, and I didn't feel safe in this world for a long time. I didn't feel safe as a woman. I didn't feel safe as a beautiful woman. I didn't feel safe as an intelligent woman. I feel like all my gifts were like against me. Um, and so, yeah, so I, it's funny, so much of me finding my path came through the things that I used to keep myself safe, which were work and um relationship so um I was always in relationships back to back and um I actually and this was a response to some sexual trauma that happened in my first sexual experience so I felt really safe in relationships and then on the other side with work I felt like there was such a clear energy exchange from in terms of like being um, dealing with neglect in my youth. It was like, if I perform, I'm going to get something in return that's equal. And this feel, it felt like just a safe dynamic in that way. Um, and so on the, on that side, I worked in the natural foods industry for a long time. And this started bringing me into simplicity. It started creating awareness in my life around the earth, around what we put in our bodies, around, you know, the ways like the natural foods industry in and of itself is creating a lot of change. So it put me in the space of change maker. And um, and then in relationships, I a few years ago had a really traumatic breakup. And it was the breakup is so traumatizing that it made me realize this safety mechanism doesn't work. It's actually worse than the other side. And so I had already had tea in my life at that point and was already living a life of tea. I also burned, this is kind of separate. I also burned out from work too. So on both things, I was like, my life was just dismantled and every safety tactic I had was gone, but I had tea. That's the one thing I did have tea she helped me get through all of it. And, um, in, 
the breakup, essentially what happened was I was out of town. I was in India for six weeks in a healing journey and my partner left and uh, I've never seen him again, even to this day, years later. And so, holy shit. (laughs) This is a very gentle way to talk about the trauma, but it was very, like, the story is very complex and layered Mm -hmm. and there's just, it was really fucked up in a lot of ways. And so I came home from India to an empty house because most, I'm like a minimalist. Most of our stuff was his. And I bought us this house a year before, and it's a much bigger house than I would probably have on my own. So I literally, there was like a couch and a dining room table and a bed in this huge, like five bedroom house. And all of our tea stuff, all of our serving stuff, like everything, everything was gone. And I just sat here in the corner of my house with my little travel tea set, jet lagged at three in the morning. And I was shocked. I was just like, I've literally lost everything in my life. Like I don't have work. I've lost my partner. I don't have anything in my house. I don't know. Like, I don't have an income. I'm like, am I going to lose my house too? I, and I was just, And I just sat here and I put this prayer in that was like, I want to, I don't want to lose my house. Like I want to get through this. And I was in India when I was in India, one of my friends. So I, one of the lineages that's super important in my life is bhakti lineage. So it's the yoga of service and devotion. And one of my friends, she gave this amazing talk in India where she said, why do we, or she said, everything in life is going to be given away or taken away. Like there's only two choices. So why wait, right? You can't actually hold on to anything. And um, she was talking about it in reference to like charitable giving in her day-to-day life. Like how we were just like, I can't afford to give stuff away. I can't, it's like, it's what's the problem? Like do it now. And I sat here and I was thinking about that. And, uh, you know, at first it made me think like, should I sell the house or lose the house? (laughs) Right. And then I realized, wait, I can have both, like they can both coexist. And so I moved to the smallest bedroom in my house and I opened the rest of the house to Airbnb. I have a girlfriend who runs Airbnbs for a living and she like blessed me and came into my life and like set it all up for me. And I created my tea space and literally for a year, I just like I, people, I used to joke, I'm a, I'm a housekeeper. (laughs) I'm a cleaning lady. And I just served people, you know, people they'd come because my house, it also, it is a temple, So, you know, it's like no substances, no, you know, it's quiet in here. It's a ceremony space. People walk into my home and they know, like, don't fuck around here. And people got to have peace and quiet and see a different way of living and enjoy tea ceremony and have all of this, just like my life became the offering. And it was from that, that I was actually able to financially support myself during this really difficult time and allow myself to go really deep into my healing process, which is what brought so much of what I share into, well, I would say it integrated it, right? It was a lifetime of it probably lifetimes of experiences that in this space, in this home, on this land, and during that really dark night of the soul, like really dark, um, got to 
got to root into my being and integrate and then slowly sprout up. And now we have flowers and soon we'll have fruit. (laughs) And um, yeah, it's one of those things that it's, it's like, we never know. We never know why things are happening the way they're happening, but hindsight is 2020. And so, yeah, that's a little bit of kind of the personal background of what got me to where I am at now. I adore hearing that. And it also sounds like there's so many lineages that have supported you from tea. You said bhakti, bhakti yoga. And I mean, service, if I think about what all of the great teachers that like I follow, my lineage being evangelical Christianity. So Jesus, that the Jesus lineage, it all was service. All of it was service. You mentioned integration, and I was going to ask you about integration anyway, and it seems like moving into the smallest room in your house, choosing to kind of take a step back from work in this very public way and just living of service was a part of your integration. And I'm wondering how you define integration and what that actually looked like for you to integrate that dark night into your life. Yeah, I think integration is the change agent. So we oftentimes will have this aha moment, right? Whether it's a trauma, whether it's a, um, or maybe it can be a positive, like, oh my God, I just saw the world in a different way, or my heart just opened or what have you. And those are just moments, But for me, integration is the time in which we allow those moments to actually change us. And I remember one of my friends said to me after my nervous breakdown, we were at dinner one night and she looked at me and she said, you know, you're actually changing, right? And And I said, what do you mean? Of course I am. Like, I'm sick. I got, my nervous breakdown was really, my burnout was really bad. And so I'm like, I want to be normal again. (laughs) Of course I am. And she said, actually only nine or only one out of 10 people who burn out actually change their lives. And I don't know if that's accurate. She said to me, (laughs) I was gonna say that's like, I can actually, I imagine that that's probably somewhat true. Mm -hmm. Yeah, totally. And, um, and I think that that's the non-integration, right? That's, are you really going to change? And though integration requires stillness and silence and keep holding things to yourself to really understand how it's going to change you. One of the things I say in my T course all the time is don't disperse the energy. Don't disperse the energy. Keep it in the container in which we're in because we get so excited, especially something like tea is making people happy. It's bringing meaning they feel like, oh my God, I found something. I like, I finally found what I was looking for. And then they go out and they just share it to everyone. But the thing is that these traumas, these enlightened moments, these aha moments are coming for you. They're coming specifically for you. And what you're doing when you just run out and give it to someone else is A, you're not integrating and B, you're rejecting the gift because you haven't received it yet. And so this is why there's so much uninitiated wisdom in this world. Um, So even in the story I just said, I can share that my friend, um, 
my friend shared this really potent thing that sat with me that started to create change in my heart, but it wasn't until I changed my life and lived it for a year, over a year until COVID, that I could really say, this is now integrated into my being. And then maybe I can share about it. Um, And it probably took me about a year to even like share that more publicly. Um, But yeah, so for me, integration is so important and it's something we don't do enough in our culture. And, um, and as I said, it kind of feels like the, the roots growing down of the tree that you, that you just like received, is it going to fall over or is it going to root? Um, yeah. Mariana, you just described, um, the way you put that, put so much into context for me. And it feels like in, in my body, it feels so true. Um, really, this is just a really fun personal share of, um, it was two years ago, like this week that I realized I wanted a divorce and that I was also falling in love with a woman. And up until this point, I had been, um, for the most part, very public about like the things I was going, like I would learn something I would share it with my audience. And it was like, I was sharing publicly in a lot of ways. And like whenever I left evangelical Christianity, that was very private, but this also felt even more private. And it, just this week, actually, my lawyer sent me that my name was officially legally changed. Mm-hmm. And it was, it's been two years, two years. And I'm just like, I've been thinking, like, I really wanted to write a book, like, at, in that season about, you know, the the years past. And I just kept hearing, it's not time, it's not time. And what I had done to myself previously, and it felt like extraction. I felt like I was being exploited in my work and my spirituality was being exploited. And I couldn't put my finger on why I felt traumatized by my own work. Like I was traumatizing myself because I wasn't allowing it to be sacred. And one of my somatic and energetic healers gave me a really beautiful visual for this. She said, you know, your basically your heart energy is really forward. So she asked me to like move my heart back into proper place in the center of my body and to turn my hands downward and place them on my lap. And she's like, what if all of that energy was for you? What if all of that energy was meant for you to receive? And I had like, I was like so uncomfortable because I had never thought about that. I even deserved to receive it. And once I started living in that way where I was like turning it back to me and turning it back to me and turning it back to me, I had to face so much, so many feelings of like the traumas where I had been exploited, where my, all of that was extracted. And then I had used it in extraction of myself to serve other people. And I think you're, I'm just basically verbally processing that that is so true in my experience of even this like very difficult time. People have said, wow, you've integrated so quickly. And it's been like, yes and yes and no. I just haven't been, haven't been telling you about it. <laughs> I just haven't. And so with that, I'm curious how other people receive these changes. Like your friend, like saying, I'm seeing you like sprout up, like your root system. I'm seeing these sprouts come up. Did your relationships shift in this time? Oh my gosh. Yeah. I mean, my whole life is different. It, you yeah, my whole life is different. And I, there's very few people like less than I can count on my hand that are really still in my life from then. But I mean, yeah, one of my main things was my partnership ended. 
And um, I'll never, that was probably like from my nervous breakdown to um, him leaving was maybe like seven months separate. And I mean, and the people I used to work with, like they totally, I I don't understand why they did, but they stopped talking to me completely. Um, I really like lost everything, but I remember my ex said at one point, oh, you're really doing the work. And it sat really weirdly with me. And I said the same thing to him. Of course I am. And I've always, you know, I'm always doing the work (laughs) and, but it felt the thing that sat really weirdly with me about it was that it felt like a negative. It was different from my other friend saying it, where she was impressed. It felt, it felt like he was calling out a flaw in me. And I think when we do the work, some people don't want to come along. And so, yeah, I feel, I feel like so many of my, so many of my friendships changed because I didn't want to keep living in this way that was out of integrity. And a lot of my relationships, I let them fade away. Like I just see who stayed, who didn't, and just let them do it of their own accord. And then some people ended up being actual breakups, which were really painful. Um, But again, it's like, it's only, I find that my, I get more triggered when I've compromised myself in some way for another person. And when I can really stay in myself, it's easier to let the world happen. I don't get so angry or frustrated or hurt because it didn't require me martyring myself to to find out the same thing. And so um, I feel really grateful for the humans in my life now. And I, I would say that they're just such an upgrade. And I use that word really gently because I say an upgrade just because they're more in alignment with me, not because they're better in any way. Yeah, I love that you made that distinction because that was a big resistance for me of letting go of people that I didn't want to think that like this levels of consciousness that these certain people were better, but it was there were people who were more resonant and that felt like a better feeling than just like some people are just more on my level or something like that. <laughs> yeah. I'm curious, you mentioned like, um, how did you say it? Basically discerning the difference between when you are in a relationship with someone where you need to check your ego and where there is maybe misalignment within you and discernment where being in that relationship would require you to self-abandon. Like, how do you discern where one is uh, more, do you give a question? Like, Oh yeah, that's a big question. <laughs> yeah, it's a big question. <laughs> How do you know when you're abandoning yourself versus showing up in love maybe? Yeah, but we're, we're still maybe behavior modification is required to be in right relationship. Yeah. So I really love this. Um, this, I'll call it a quote from um, the Bhakti texts, the Vedic texts about devotional love. And um, devotional love is when one's own level of suffering does not impact their level of devotion. And this is uh, something that I really reflect on and try and live by often. 
And so I love the word that you use discernment. It's like we need discernment of ourselves and of others um, to really understand where our suffering is coming from. You know, is my suffering uh, because I'm agitated because I ha- something's bringing up something from when I was young with my parents and, and I'm being my little self then. And so, okay, this is a discomfort. This is something for me to process within myself because it is a block to me being able to love someone, right? It's a block for me. And I don't want to show up as that person. Or on the other side is this someone else's block. And then am I martyring myself so that I don't have, so that I don't have to be in the discomfort of asking that person to show up for me, in which case I'm afraid that they won't, (laughs) right? That's really like, if we really just sum it up, we, the patriarchal society in which we live is that someone's rescuing someone who needs to be saved. And both of these things require um, a worthiness that isn't inherent in us and So one is like, I need to be worthy in order to be saved. And I need to be good enough, worthy enough to save someone, skilled enough, whatever. And the dynamics, like, honestly, sometimes when I'm just seeing a dynamic with me and someone else, if I can just simplify it into that and really understand, is there wounding happening here? Or is this just a genuine request? Or like, can we kind of get through that? Or is me making a change helping me leave the part of myself that thinks I can be rescued or that thinks I'm trying to be worthy enough to be something like so long as I can really dumb it down, then I'm able to discern a good decision usually. Mm. But it requires a lot of that introspection and a lot of just like being really honest. And I call it fantasy killing in myself. <laughs> I think like, where's the fantasy? So mm. often, revolves around I'm finally perfect someone finally thinks I'm perfect someone's gonna love me even though I'm not perfect someone's going to rescue me this person didn't say anything to me but really I think that that means they like me even more (laughs) like whatever nonsense is coming up what's the fantasy Mm. and I usually address it head on I'll say hey I have this fantasy that this is a thing can you tell or I'll just ask like a difficult question ask the hard questions because it deflates us into reality and then you have nothing to lose from that place because you you can't lose the fantasy that you just killed. If I think of most situations where there has been relational harm in my life, it is because one or both people are participating in that uh, hierarchy of worthiness, narcissistic, which is what I think it is, dynamic, where there's someone, either we think we're the source for someone or someone is being the source for us. And goodness, that calling it a fantasy is real because like the source is the source. Yeah. And we can't save each other. Like it requires so much grief. Like Mm. we've been raised in this way that says these fantasies are real, that they can actually happen. And we need to grieve the fact that they can't actually happen. That even when we want to save someone, even if it's just with our perspective, because my friend is harming herself in some way, whatever, it's like the fact that I have to, that the part, there's a part of me that trusts her path, you know, that trusts my path, that trusts the divinity in all things. Um, 
even if it looks like chaos to us, it's to trust that it's ordered. It requires me to grieve the fact that I've been told and I really believe that I can save others and that that will make, and that someone will save me. It's just bursting the whole bubble. And yeah. So what happens, like, it sounds like in your dark night, that bubble was burst. Like (laughs) that, and then you moved into service. And I want to know from your perspective, how to be in a life of devotional service without playing into a martyr savior dynamic. Mm. Yeah. Well, well, here's the truth is the truth that I learned. One of the things I really had to integrate in that time. And, and it came through my partner at the time because I gave this human everything. I, you know, if for all the times that I protected myself in life and held back to stay in control, the experiment for me with this human was I'm going all in. And I gave this person everything, everything I had. Like my money, I bought us a house. I moved out here to Boulder. Just my love, my time, my devotion, just freaking everything. And this person couldn't even say goodbye to me. Right? Like literally, like that's something that has, that I've said so many times. He couldn't even say bye to my face. And I asked him to, even when he was leaving, I said, can you wait for me to come home so that I can help you move so that you don't feel like you're running away and you can move on to this new chapter in your life with your head held high. Okay. So even in that, he did not wait. (laughs) It was like, already planned it. Got to go. And that burst the bubble of, I'm not, I can't, there's nothing I can do to make someone love me. There is nothing that I can do to change someone. Even if I gave all that I've got and all the things that our society says to say and every like to give and everything, I did all of it. And, and actually I was treated the worst I'd ever been treated. And so it was this thing like you literally cannot change yourself. So then when you serve from that place, there's nothing I can do to change you, but I can still offer you my heart. I'm not in control of if you receive it. And this is what the selfless devotion is, right? This is what the devotional love is because my suffering that comes from me not getting something out of serving you does not alter my level of service to you. So it's really, it helps you step into true love. If we think about what we were just talking about in terms of the rescue, rescue or whatever, this is weaponized love. This is love saying love to control, but really love begets freedom. And so in that, it's, um, it, that, that's where we really step into, there's no condition here and there's no expectation. And I really learned that, you know, for, for the year, I mean, it's still happening for years after my, this breakup, I really practiced loving this human. I just kept loving. I just, and he gave me a lot. He challenged me in that a lot. And I was like, I'm not going to be the person you think I am. I'm going to be me. And I am a loving person. I'm not going to, it doesn't matter how much you trigger me. This is a practice for me to stay in alignment, to not martyr myself. 
I'm not going to connect with you through conflict. I'm not going to, you know, I'm just going to like stay in my experience, what I need, focus on myself. And um, one of the things I realized quite recently in the past month was that my unconditional love for that human only started after he left. Like what I realized was actually, even though I gave this person everything I had, it was in the condition that we were going to be together in this life. There was a condition. And we talk about integration. That took me over two years to realize. So this is why integration is important, right? But totally. yeah, but this, I like through loving someone despite my pain, it really taught me how to love. Mm-hmm. It taught me, it taught me to, that other people aren't responsible for how I feel. And every time I feel that they are, there's a really deep opportunity for healing and a really deep opportunity to de-weaponize love and come into what love really is. Mm-hmm. And, um, and that's essentially what living a life of service is. Mm-hmm. And so I love how you said, like, in the evangelical Christian world, it was all about service. So much of our religions are all about service. We talk about service, but it's not unconditional service. And that's the difference. That's why it's not healing when there's a condition, mm-hmm. it's not when you get your, when you get your hours of community service done for school. And that's why <laughs> whenever it's a checklist, you're like literally checking it off your calendar. It's like, and you're like, how can I get this done? So I never have to do it again. <laughs> or it's like, conditional to get people in the church or like you said, to earn love, which interestingly enough from, you know, you having a Catholic context and me having a Christian context is like the antithesis of grace. Like what I'm hearing you describe about conditionless love. Like there was nothing you could do to earn this. There was nothing you could do to earn the, you could only be you and the love already existed, but you weren't sourcing from it. Like whenever I think of grace, I think of sourcing that love from, from God, from source, from earth, whatever, how you ever, you want to view it, but there's nothing you can do. Like a baby is born and then there's like earth and there's mother and there's nourishment. If obviously if like things are going well in the way that I believe nature intended them to. I think all of that is grace and there's nothing, like a baby is just born. They didn't do anything to deserve to be cared for. Mm-hmm. Like all of that is grace. I'm curious when someone, you said it helps you realize that um, your, the way you feel is your responsibility. And whenever you're not taking responsibility for that, that there's something there for you. What about when people bring you like, I need you to save me. I need you to make me feel different. How do you respond to that? Mm. Honestly, if it's not in my body, I don't take responsibility for it. I think it's, I, I, and I don't think it's a healthy dynamic or it's not a healthy dynamic. So I've, I've actually had that type of thing come up where someone keeps trying to create a problem between us. And I'm like, I just don't feel like that. So the more I've come into my body, the more I can say when someone's like, you're so angry or something, I'm like, I'm actually not angry. It's not in my body. So you're, this is not, it gives me, it kind of like almost saves me from the societal gaslighting of someone telling me how I feel when I'm like, I don't think I feel like that. (laughs) Um, It's just being in my body. 
And then what I've really noticed in myself and in others is how we're raised to that. Some people only know how to be in connection through conflict. And so if that's usually what someone's trying to do, if they, and I don't, yeah, I just, I have pretty strong boundaries. I don't really feel my conditioning as a child led me to being super independent versus needy. And so I don't feel that like, I feel like I'm able to hold a really good boundary with situations like that. But again, if anyone is free will is, is our human right, (laughs) all of nature is right. So if someone is overexerting themselves where you don't feel like you have free will anymore, even if it's just a little guilt trip, it's time to step back and like make a conscious decision of what you want. And that can involve, that involves lots of things, how you want to show up as a friend, how you want to show up for yourself, how it doesn't mean that like, if you end up doing it and someone guilts you into something successfully, that it's a bad thing. But at that point you take responsibility for it. And when you take responsibility for it, you're in alignment (laughs) and then you're not martyring yourself. So yeah, I would say coming again, when we can like bring things to a more universal space versus a personal space, like I have free will, I have the right to express myself. Um, I have the right to say no, you know, these, which we haven't really been, we, we, we are not given a right to be in our society. Um, as you said, like when the baby comes out, we don't go to the baby and say, you have a right to be and to be all that you can be. We go to them, pour some water on them and say, you are a sin, but through my grace, it's okay for you to exist, right? So when we can take it out of that context and come back into our natural rights um, and a more universal place, then I think we're less likely to martyr ourselves because martyrdom's not natural. Altruism is natural, but martyrdom is not. And those are two really different things, even though they feel we oftentimes we're acting our, out our martyr thinking we're altruistic. And they're very, they're, it's just a tricky difference, but they're very different. I love that you say martyrdom is not natural. Like it's not, it's not natural. <laughs> and it's, it was the most natural expression of my conditioning. Mm-hmm. And so reorienting to the power of sovereign choice, something I work with my clients on is whenever, sometimes we get in those situations where we think we don't have choice, but it's because all of our choices have consequences that we don't like, but we actually do have choice. There's just like, no matter what way we go, we're going to have to deal with some bullshit that we don't want to deal with and we're rather, we're trying to avoid it. And it's like, okay, let's take a look at these consequences because the choice to avoid the choice to pretend that you don't have choices is still a choice. You're still making that choice. That's still sovereignty playing itself out. Um, so what are like, like you said, what do you want? Like, what do you want for breakfast? Go make that choice. Mm-hmm. And how can you reorient to the smallest piece of choice that you have 
even if there are consequences to it. Because I remember telling Elizabeth D'Alto, who I, I did an Akashic Records reading with her. She's uh, someone I had on the podcast a couple months ago. And it was in the very beginning of my divorce. I was coming out. I, you know, I hadn't been public with it. I, it was all very private. And I was like, I just feel like I don't even have a choice. And she was like, they want you to know to stop being a martyr. Like that was the Akashic reading. And I was like, that's not why I fucking signed up for this Akash. I was like hoping for something like really profound and like really life-changing about like the direction. And they were like, essentially the Akashic records was like, it doesn't matter what you do. You have a choice. Stop being a martyr. I was like, oh. (laughs) And you know what's on the opposite side of martyrdom is integrity. Mm -hmm. And And I think I've been... Even in all, like, sometimes I'm just shocked at how much I real. I'm like, oh, this is still here in this way. It's like these patterns in ourselves, they're so tricky, but that I love what you were saying about the choice piece. Cause I used to say that to people about healing, about my healing process. I'd be like, I didn't have a choice. I was sick. And everyone always says to me, yeah, you did have a choice. I still don't really feel like I had a choice, but That's the tricky thing is that I do feel like there are, there are moments. And this is what my girlfriend says. She said, she said that most of her life has been spent unconscious Mm. where she didn't know she was making choices. Mm. And there've only been a few key moments where she was conscious of the choice she was making when she made it. Yeah. And I think that that is like, sometimes there's so much momentum going. And also I'm just going to thank the power of prayer for all the years that I have been so devotional. Like I can only understand it as grace of like, my nervous system, there was, there's some like design to my nervous system that enabled me to make certain choices that I wasn't even conscious I was making and I was still making them. Yeah, totally. Yeah. I think, I, I think if I really are, and to think about my response to my nervous breakdown, the other choice is to die essentially. It's like, are you going to heal or are you going to die? And even though the healing required a death, that wasn't a physical death, right? But it's, that never occurred to me as a choice, right? I don't, Yeah, it's just not in my wiring to really consider physical death. Um, and so, yeah, it's, it's like, we might just, the other option just might not be an option in our awareness or our, in our essence, in our essential space. And so, yeah, it's really, it's really fascinating. And then on the other side, as you said, there's these times where we feel like victims to not having a choice. And really we are like the lack of making a choice is one. And I've been going through something really similar to that of just life is asking me to really step into my integrity in a much deeper way Mm -hmm. and seeing my lack of integrity um, or the areas in my life that are lacking some integrity in some decisions Mm -hmm. uh, as, as um, blocks to my work blocks to everything that I stand for. It's like, where are all the places where I'm not living out what I preach? Hmm. There's not many, there's a couple and it's, it's, uh, it's really asking me to address them. And what I'm feeling is what you were saying, which is, I really don't want to deal with the consequences. <laughs> yeah. like, this feels like dramatic. It feels like, you know, having any point of view in this world strongly and publicly is 
annoying. Especially <laughs> right now. Uh, <laughs> it's like, oh, just what is that? Uh, it's a meme of the Grinch doing yoga and he just like lets out a scream. Have you seen this meme? <laughs> I will try to dig it up and just send it to you and maybe add it to the show notes. <laughs> Some of you will know what I'm talking about, but it's the Grinch doing yoga and they have his arms up and like, and let out a sigh and he just shrieks on the way down. And I feel like that's how I feel about being a person who has a public platform, having an opinion right now. Totally. Totally. And, and, but it, what, what's really fascinating about it is that the part of me that, that isn't addressing it, she's not coming out saying there's something out of integrity. Mm. She's coming out because she has a mind and the mind is a tricky, tricky place. She's coming out saying, I'm so compassionate <laughs> or, I've done so much work that this is where my result is, or, you know, like she, she is sugarcoating the hmm. fuck discomfort <laughs> and like, and, and I, and not act, not consciously, you know, it's, it's so tricky. These little places where we're out of integrity, where we really feel like there isn't a choice or we don't want to deal with the consequences of something or the inconvenience of it. And I'm like, damn, I cannot believe I convinced myself that that's what was happening right now. <laughs> and it's really the opposite. And um, yeah, it's, and I, again, I, I say like, this is again, why integration is so important because we, it's very rare that we get it right the first time. Hmm. Can you tell me, like you've mentioned feminine integrity and you keep speaking to integrity and I'm curious through the lens of feminine essence, like what, what you mean by that? I think, yeah, what I mean by that is right now in this world, I mean, always in this world, but it's coming up really strongly right now is the wounded dynamics between the masculine and the feminine. I think it's really important for women to be in their feminine integrity as a part of the change making that's occurring. And I think what I'm seeing is a lot of women backing out, a lot of women going into their wounding. And there's a, there's a feeling that's like, well, I'm a victim of the patriarchy. Why do I have to do the work first? And I get it. <laughs> I totally get that. And at the same time, I'm seeing that the, I'm seeing the power of a woman who stays in her integrity and says no to the wounded masculine over and over and over again. And I'm seeing the change that that creates, which is men showing up to the work and men changing and men understanding because we don't let them get away with things. And it's uncomfortable and it's annoying on our side. But I think in a way we just have, it's like the responsibility of our awareness of the feminine, the feminine bodied experience on this planet at this time and throughout time. We are the, we are the holders of that knowledge. And if that knowledge and experience is what is asking to be changed, it's so important for us to keep it front and center to keep sharing the story, to keep staying in, like that's the integrity we need to stay in. And I feel even in myself, I have the, you know, I have the relationships in my life, the men who I just eye roll. The eye roll's not enough. (laughs) 
Like me thinking that the eye roll is going to create change or the eye roll is going to, it's like, I don't want to live in that world anymore. I'm really sick of it. And I'm surrounded by, it's funny, it's a, a few months ago, maybe six months ago, I unfollowed everyone on Instagram and I only followed some people and I stopped following men. <laughs> I only follow women and it's awesome. <laughs> the world is great. Like I just, I, the sisterhood and the power and the wisdom and the knowledge of women right now is just mind blowing that it's actually lowered my tolerance for men right now. Thank, thank God though. Because yeah. I don't want, I don't want to be tolerant of bullshit anymore. Yeah, totally. Totally. And that it requires me to, to be in integrity, which is uncomfortable and not just, it's coming up a lot for me in the space of some of the ways in which I have allowed my ex-partner to hmm. get away with that. I haven't really addressed all of the pain and suffering that I went through and I've just been in my strength and that's enough and in my love and that's enough but recently have been really shown by the world the universe whatever tea that it's not enough Mm. and I'm seeing Mm. all ways in which it's just not enough it's not it's not enough to be upset with um with how men are behaving. And I say this really generally for people, you know, men, women with strong wounded masculine, you know, people in male bodies. I say that really broadly um, and we can slice and dice it in different ways, but um, it's not enough to just say to be shocked. It's like the behavior that we're often shocked by is actually so normal. And I think it's really important now that we say this is normal. Mm-hmm. So if this behavior is normal, then my integrity has to be normal too. Oof. And I think this is where the change, like this is the responsibility of the woman to stand in her anchor and realize, I was talking about this with my friends the other day. I'm like, the goddess doesn't, the goddess doesn't get off of her pedestal and say, there, there, it's okay. The goddess waits for you to be ready to meet her. And she sits there waiting. I have all the time in the world. If I want to stay in, and I think this is where it gets really tricky because weaponized love is really focused on the romantic relationship. Mm -hmm. So if I sit here, like I have to be willing to throw away romance in my life. That's how, that's what integrity looks like for a woman right now. I have to be ready to say, you know what? If the man doesn't show up in his integrity, I won't compromise and I'll become a crone. Mm. Being a wise woman sounds pretty awesome. <laughs> like that's pretty awesome. You know? But yes. Yeah, just being like, I'm, I can't, again, there's nothing I can do to change mm-hmm. you. I can only change myself and be that and hope that it brings you into your integrity because you've seen an example of integrity. And, um, and so it requires, like, that level of integrity requires a lot of um, detachment from the outcome. And, uh, I think, and, and then that relationship piece I've been thinking about a lot, like the idea that we say I'm not in a relationship is so violent. I'm in so many relationships and they are so fulfilling. Mm -hmm. And it's so diminishing to all of the forms of relationship to only make romantic relationships, like the only kind of relationship that's valid. 
Totally. And that, and that I think is one of the key reasons why we're constantly compromising ourselves and martyring ourselves. Mm. Right. So it's, to me, the integrity is like no compromises, no compromises. And this is my work in the world to re-exalt the feminine. So if I'm not doing it in my day-to-day life, it, Mm. it means nothing. This is where the change, all changes happen in like the little steps that we take every day. You know, I, I'm feeling like really emotional as you're speaking of this because this week my my girlfriend's out of town. My name also changed, as I mentioned. And this is the first time I've been alone since quarantine. I haven't been alone. And I, whenever I was married, although I was married for like all of my 20s and got in a relationship very quickly after I got divorced, before I got divorced technically, because, you know, divorce takes a while, I, I was alone a lot when I was married. Um And like most of the relationship was actually spent like alone, like my evenings were alone, my weekends were alone. So I'm in this process of like a lot of space and I'm realizing how, um, you know, it's, it's been two years since I decided to get divorced and you're saying two years, like stuff is still coming up for you about this previous relationship. And I'm realizing, and it's been an unfolding and I haven't spoken about it a lot because I've been just in, in fucking process with it. I'm realizing I allowed queerness to be the reason my ex-partner believed we got divorced when that was not the case. And I, you know, I had tried to speak to it, but I didn't let the rage come out because I was in a state of self-protection. I just wanted it to be as easy and as smooth and have like this, this love lacquered on top of it. But the reality was there was so much self-betrayal, demoralization, so much sacred, fiery feminine, so much rage. Like my body was literally in hives for the last six months of the relationship. My body was like telling me to leave long before I realized I was queer, like so much, but I allowed, and I even, you know, people's perceptions, whatever, but a lot of people believe that I got divorced because I came out and that would be easier than the truth. Yeah. So much easier. And which is one reason I really haven't written about it because I'm like, do I want to, do I really want to go there? Cause my integrity has a lot to fucking say. <laughs> so you're just, yeah. What you're saying just feels really resonant to this like two year anniversary mark and then the name change mark and like so many things. I mean, I think it's so important because you know what? It's giving a voice to a story that I that a lot of women experience. Mm-hmm. It wasn't. I used to get really triggered when I was younger around things like people just saying that they've had the same experience as me. I'd be like, "No, you haven't." Yeah. Stop saying that. <laughs> that changed in my life after my ex um, left me the way he did. Mm. I would tell when I would tell women. And they would say, I know how you feel. Mm. It was the time in my life that I believed it. And I would wow. just saying, and I, you know, I never really thought that someone would ever do something like that to say it like shook me to my core and to re- and it, and I realized at the same time how common it is. And I mm. think that that part of it is the, and I've written, and I've written a lot on Instagram about it. So I have some vulnerable posts in that. And it's always shocking to me the responses. And I think that part of us that says that feels like we're alone 
and that doesn't really believe the extent to which women are suffering in silence is, mm-hmm. is quite insidious. I, I, like I would actually say it's a part of, it is the problem. And that's where the integrity is so important is mm-hmm. because it, your experience is so valid. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it doesn't have to be covered up by something convenient. Your experience should be able to be convenient to you. Mm-hmm. So annoying to deal with <sighs> because this is literally because we live in a patriarchal society where we store trauma in our bodies and in our experiences in our lives and everything. And this is the, this is the outcome of mm-hmm. thousands of years of living this way. And this is the, this is the unraveling. Mm-hmm. I was just going to say, I think one of the key messages in the unraveling is surprise. This isn't actually rare. Yes. Like when you start to just in in circle too, like for you, tea ceremony, for me, very much sacred circle, you hear this, like it's all everyone's experience. Even if the story is different, the grief, the anguish, the feeling like I need to make my feminine palatable in a culture that doesn't welcome rage. Like the, in the image I've been getting for the last week, like I, I trained in Jinjin Kwan Hapkido most of my childhood. It's a Korean martial art. And I was actually the youngest female black belt in the States in Jinjin Kwan Hapkido. I was ferocious. And l- lately, um, actually, I remember specifically the grandmaster came from Korea to visit our our dojang and he I had all my gear on and he said that boy kicked good and he was obviously referring to me <laughs> so I I have this image of myself there's a specific kick and I've been dreaming of it and I feel my body wanting to do it there's this ferocious like you you know you're standing facing the person and you step forward with your front leg and you spin all the way around 180 and just smack the person in the face with your foot up high my whole body craves this motion right now <laughs> just like i'm seeing it and i'm feeling it in my body as you're talking and i'm like this is the fierce fucking feminine wanting to express he does i told <laughs> you can also just like physically do it <laughs> I will let you know if I can still do this. Um, I hope that I can, but I have to be honest, I've not been moving my body in quarantine in a way that might allow me. (laughs) Just do it. We're nearing the end of our conversation. And I know I I feel like I could just be with you here for so much longer. So maybe we'll have to have another ceremony together and record it or not and just be together. But before we do rapid fire, is there anything about this fierce feminine that in the context of this conversation you want to bring forward or close up? Oh yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. Bring it. This actually came through in the new moon with my tea course. We did a new moon ceremony and it is stop stopping yourself for the love of all that is sacred and holy women. Stop stopping yourself. And when you stop yourself, understand that it's usually not your choice it is your conditioning just stop stopping yourself from your experience from what you want stop compromising yourself stop feeling like there is no choice allow yourself to express just stop stopping yourself (laughs) 
I feel like my arms like lifting like wings as you're saying this. So I'm like, that feels so, yes. Stop thinking that you need to justify your actions, your words, your expression. You don't need to justify it. Mm -hmm. You don't need to justify anything. You don't need to justify anything. Yeah. I'm going to dive into some rapid fire with you. Are you ready? Okay, I'm ready. You've answered this, but what is your spiritual background? Oh, well, Catholicism, is that it? Yeah. Mm -hmm. How do you know when you know? I just know. What identities have you let go of to own your fullness today? Martyrdom, which we've kind of gone into. Martyrdom, girlfriend, this big one, girlfriend, uh, employee, and and human. Mm. What are you most enjoying learning right now? I am most enjoying learning about the feminine right now, both through experience and also I'm doing a book club right now. We just got into Mary Magdalene Revealed, which is just to so anyone. good. Yeah, to uh. end was raised in the Christian tradition it's it, it's such a metaphor and parallel to what's hap- what's still happening now mm-hmm. so really I'm really enjoying that what does grace mean to you grace means growing with ease the easy route the easy route we have both choices all the time Um, it means we always have two choices and I always say, may I grow with ease? Can I choose the easy route instead of the more difficult one? I feel complete with learning through difficulty and pain. (laughs) Mm, Yes, yes, yes. If you're out at a coffee shop in Boulder, what is your go-to coffee shop order? Mm. Oat milk mocha, which I had a mocha for the first time last year, changed my life. And If I am feeling like I want to scrap my gluten-free diet, which happens, a pistachio rose water croissant. Oh, my God. Whoever in Boulder, it's the best croissant in Boulder. Yes. Yes. I will be having that if I come to Boulder. The last question is, what do you want? Just, I want it to be normal in our society to wake up and remember the earth. I want it to be normal in our society to wake up and drink tea in ceremony. I want it to be normal in our society to speak to the animals. I want it to be normal to just love without condition. These are some of the things that I want. And I think tea is, this is why I work with tea is that she is a carrier of all of those things and really helps humans learn that very quickly and change mm. to that very quickly. Mm. Where can people go to connect with you on your favorite place on the internet? Instagram, just my Instagram, Mariana Rittenhouse. And, um, you know, I have a website, but who wants to maintain one of those things? So there's that, <laughs> but everything I'm always sharing in person foremost through Instagram. And if you are someone who has a tea practice or who's interested in just being in more tea community, I have a Facebook group called For the Love of Tea and um, post a lot of things in there too. 
Beautiful. This has just been a delight. I cannot wait for continued conversation with you. Yeah, it has. Thank you so much for having me and for holding such a beautiful conversation. Thank you for tuning in to Everything Belongs. If you loved this episode, please subscribe and leave me a five-star review on iTunes or your favorite podcast app so that others might find this podcast too. You can find the show notes and find out more about today's guests by going to madisonmorgan.com backslash podcast. And before you go, I want to tell you about Everything Belongs, the membership. For only $17 a month, join my monthly workshop gatherings that will serve as a playground and sacred circle to learn and explore a spirited life fully expressed in your worth, wholeness, and power. Members will have the opportunity to vote on podcast guests, pick workshop topics, send in questions to be answered live on the call, get a monthly journaling PDF, and members-only access to all of my coaching programs. If you're looking for a place to ground, gather, play, and explore all of the conversations shared here on Everything Belongs, then this is a space for you. For more information, go to madisonmorgan.com backslash membership. And if you're not following and chatting with me over on Instagram, please go do that now and DM me and let me know your favorite part of this episode. I cannot wait to hear from you. And until next time, remember that curiosity can be a portal to a rich life where everything truly belongs. See you next time.